Thank you for joining me once again here at The Arts Today. I'm Alessandro Angelini. Over the course of this historic pandemic period that has now ingrained itself into our definitions of normalcy, sometimes it feels like all we can do is watch the events of the world from the metaphorical passenger seat. Whether we are talking about the damage that has been done to the global live arts and culture industries, or the social events happening within our societies that we can no longer afford to turn a blind eye to, it can be easy to feel like we are just an unwitting passenger on this journey of uncertainty. So how can we take a primary position of action in the middle of all of this? Join me as I sit down with Dylan Gutierrez, a principal dancer with the Joffrey Ballet and co-founder and director of Action Lines, a new ballet company that Dylan helped create. We discuss how in the middle of so much chaos, Dylan was able to take a position of action within the arts world and the potential of his new company to redefine how we see the arts. Please enjoy. Dylan, thank you so much for being on the show with me today. How's it going? Hey, man, thanks for having me. Yeah, things are going things are going well. I'm happy and enjoying my weekend so far. It's good. Well, hopefully we don't take too much of your weekend. <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's my pleasure, man. <laughs> so I was reading through your bio for Joffrey Ballet, and one of the first facts that I stumbled upon was the fact that you received your training at an early age from your mother. And this is interesting to me because my parents were also ballet dancers. So growing up, I could remember going to watch my mom dance on stage and watching videos of them dancing together. Mm -hmm. But I want to ask you, how did you gravitate towards ballet and what was it like training with your mom? Yeah, um, that it was, I mean, it was interesting. I think a lot of guys have it like that, to be honest, because, you know, if you grow up around it, you don't, you're not like stigmatized to it. You know, you like get it and, and like you kind of see it for like with an unbiased opinion from a young age. Like even the guys I went to school with at Royal Ballet School, like the my two of my closest friends, their parents are both dancers, you know. So like um, my, my mother's a dancer and my dad's a musician. So what happened was my mom would be teaching um, here and there and I was really young. So she'd bring me with her. And I was a little bit like rambunctious and kind of like all over the place. And she was like, I'm just going to have you take the class because otherwise you're running around and like kind of all over the place. So just join in. And so I kind of started that way just because I was there. And then as I kept doing it, it was more like jazz and tap and that kind of stuff that I was doing. And my, I, I'm told that my dad was the one that was like, hey man, like if you really want to dance like properly, if you want to do it right, like you have to do ballet, you have to try try ballet. And I don't know the full story, but both of my parents tell me that it was my dad that had the, had the like foresight to go, you have to do ballet if you want to learn, you know, really know how to do this properly. So got into ballet and then, uh, yeah, I, I trained with my mom my whole life. Um, even when I was at Royal Ballet School, like I was still getting uh, training and, and notes and all this stuff from my mom. So like that, that was an interesting dynamic because like you, the work comes home with you all the time, which <laughs> I think like ballet already does do that for everyone, but it was even more when your mom is your teacher. So, uh, I mean, I, I liked it because 
I was really into it. You know, I think if you're not as passionate about it, it can totally, it would probably totally turn you away from it. But um, I was really into it and enjoyed it. And I, and I was kind of a bunhead. So we just kind of like eat, slept and breathed it. Wow. Oh my God. And you know, you say it's like bringing, bringing the work home. And I, I can speak to that. I mean, you always are getting notes. You're always getting these corrections. And I almost, I don't think it's such a bad thing because even at a young age, it may seem overwhelming or like there's too much ballet stuff going on. But really what's happening is you're surrounding yourself. I mean, you're in this environment that is just artistically driven. And, you know, with your mom being a ballet dancer and a teacher, um, those are some of the greatest uh, tools we can use in our careers, having someone that can speak our language. Um, and of course, you know, even when we come home to it, it's still a blessing there. Um, yeah, I mean, and like ballet is a discipline. So it does teach you a lot about life. And so like, it, it taught me to like always finish what I started and not bail on stuff. Like if you, if you commit to something, finish it. And like, you know, with any other thing, like we would apply the same logic and it always made sense to me. Cause I was like, yeah, well in ballet, you don't start an exercise and not finish it. Or you don't like go into a class and leave early, like you finish it. And like, it taught me that. And that's like, you know, values that I carry with me all the time. And it was because it was like really prevalent in my house and in my life growing up. Yeah, it almost like when you when you said that your mom just put you in the class because you were so rambunctious. And so, you know, I think as little boys, that's just naturally how it goes. But I yeah. think that even then it, it trains you to say, OK, well, there's something to do, something to be productive with all of this energy. And then yeah, exactly. it builds that discipline. And I think with a lot of boys, like they think, you know, what they grow up around thinking that is good to get out their energy is like sports and like other things. And uh, I think it was cool to learn at an early age, like how beneficial dance is, because it's not just physical, it's also emotional, which is why I think I gravitated to it more than I did sports. Yeah, absolutely. I could never, never get into sports. I think the creative types just have trouble with that kind of a structure too. You know, we can, we have our structure. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I played basketball growing up a lot and like I got to a certain age and I just was like, I wasn't like competitive enough. I was almost just like, like in my head about things and kind of like fantasizing stuff, like pretending I was like a professional basketball player at the, at the game and not actually like focusing up on the game. And I realized like, I think I'm more suited for artistry because I'm, I'm in my head, like making stuff up. So (laughs) I like, it, it became, I like fully committed to ballet around like 10 or 11, just kind of like moved on. Wow. And I mean, that's like, I think that's part of the performance uh, aspect of it all. You wanted to perform and feeling all of those things. Yeah. Um, yeah. But for a stranger like me, I mean, I come in, you know, talking to you, looking from the outside, looking in, it seems like this training really got through to you because like you said, eventually you ended up training at the Royal Ballet School with, you know, help being contributed from your mom, of course. Um, yeah. A few of the guests that have come on the show have trained at the Royal Ballet School at some point throughout their schooling. And I always like to ask because you always get a different answer. Um, how did training at this prestigious institution really shape you as a dancer? And um, I guess, what did it give you uh, that you didn't have before? 
Yeah, definitely. I think it gave me like, I was, uh, even, even though I was training in ballet, I was always kind of like, like big and kind of loud, you know, and like not, even though my mother's training was great, I wasn't super like detailed, you know, and not because of her, but because I was, I'm like a little bit like this. And I think like going to Royal Ballet School, it like took my, like I kept my natural energy and like vibe, but I got to sort of temper it and learn to like be a lot more classical. And then that like just added a layer to my abilities because I could always do like jazz and other types of dancing. And I always did ballet and that was like, it was my main thing, but I kind of did everything and it just beefed up more my classical side. And I think, you know, in my, in your career, it gives you an edge, like, you know, at least at the time that I graduated, having Royal Ballet School on your resume was a big deal. You know, Gaylene Stock was uh, an incredibly like tough director who had really had an eye for talent. And so to be picked by her was not, not only like, you know, really flattering and a privilege, but it gave you an edge because directors always took you seriously. And I think it's something that's helped me to be taken a bit more seriously because I'm not a super serious guy. And sometimes people, you know, they realize that I have this training and background and they're like, oh, okay. So like, he's not just kind of like a ragamuffin. He like, he, he has a, a, a breadth of knowledge behind it. And it's not just a guy that's coming into the room to like have a good time, you know? Absolutely. Wow. Um, I, I can't imagine what it was like, cause I've never trained there. I know, um, you know, like you said, the training, it gives you so many layers and more dimensions to play with, especially as you're making that transition, bridging the gap between a student and being a professional dancer. Yeah. Um, but, uh, did you ever feel like intimidated there at all? Like with the competition from the other boys as well, because up until that point, I mean, you were just training with your mom and I'm sure, yeah. you know, in the U S there's not as many boys who do ballet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's extremely intimidating, but like when I was younger, I did summer programs all the time, like every year. So that I got like that, that like rude awakening of like how good other boys are in other places, like at a really early age. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like where I had my root awakenings was at like ABT summer program. When I saw guys like Isaac Hernandez and like, Joseph Gotti, like doing pirouettes and stuff. And I just was like, I thought I could turn and I thought I was good. And then I was looking at these guys and I was like, Oh my God, like these guys look like professional dancers already. Like I'm not good at this. Like, you know? And so <laughs> I had that at a really early age. So I actually felt like when I got to Royal, other than like my first day there where like you're kind of sizing people up and you think like, oh man, this might be really tough. Like after about the first couple of days, I was like, I think I'm like still in like the upper part of like the level. Mm -hmm. And like, I was proud of that. And I also was proud of the fact that I was not like phased by competition um, because what happens at Royal Valley School is when you join the upper school, like the lower school of the White Lodge of Royal Valley School, mm -hmm. it's called White Lodge. Like they have about 15 guys from White Lodge joining and then about 15 like new kids like me from wherever, right? From Brazil, Russia, Australia. And what I noticed was the kids from White Lodge like hadn't seen or been working on the type of stuff that the kids from um, not from White Lodge had been working on. You know, we were already doing double tours and multiple pirouettes and like 
tricks and all this because at our studios we we're allowed to practice it and kind of the white lodgers were told no like we don't work on that yet we don't do that yet and i think like they were actually in for more of a rude awakening than us newcomers which was kind of funny it's not what i expected you know i thought we were going to get there and be like not ready and we actually got there and ended up being like the upper part of the level kind of wow <laughs> You know, I mean, I joined and Vadim Montagirov was in my year and Benjamin Ella, like, and these are like guys that, you know, are, are amazing dancers. And so like, th those were the type of people joining um, wow. that year. So it was, it was big. Jeez. I mean, not only some big names, I mean, at the time you kind of feel like we're all in this together, but now it's like people have made a name of themselves yourself included. Um, but yeah, oh my God, I don't know if I could ever deal with that pressure. I just, I feel like <laughs> that's a lot for me. Um, it is but... a lot. It's really intense. It's kind of like they can, they can expect perfection and it's like, what are you going to do about it? Like, you can't argue that, <laughs> Right. you know, it is intimidating, but I, I liked it. I felt like I, I struggled at first when I was there because I had the reputation of being like kind of crazy and like a bit of a troublemaker. We actually, we we put out one of the first like viral dance videos and it was like me, Benjamin and Vadim and we were doing like ballet tricks mm -hmm. and like I edited it and put it together with like the rap music. Like I, and it was ridiculous, but it was like nothing had, you know, this was in 2000 and, 2006. Like mm -hmm. it was, YouTube was just like beginning and we ended up uploading it and we got in huge trouble from the school because you weren't allowed to take video in there. Oh. And so they called me, Ben and Vadim in and like told us off, threatened to like strip us of our scholarships and get rid of us. And I actually ended up kind of taking the brunt of the blame because mm -hmm. one, I was acting really crazy in the video and two, I was kind of the louder one anyway. <laughs> and so I had like some struggles at first, but again, like after about half a year, I think they started to realize like how seriously I, I was taking it, even though I was having a good time. Um, and so it got better from there for sure. But like, mm -hmm. it's, it's definitely a, a, an adjustment. You know, I think they may have gotten upset for lack of better words with you guys, because it was just a, a it was ahead of its time, you know, now oh, everyone's yeah. doing that. It's like Instagram is the medium to do it. So, um, yeah, it was to so ahead of its time. I mean, it, it's 2006. There was barely anything like MySpace was still the thing people used yeah. back then, you know? <laughs> Damn. I love that. <laughs> well, yeah, it was crazy. So you go from Royal Ballet and then, Whereas I understand it, you're here at Joffrey Ballet. Was there a journey that took you there? And were you uh, involved in companies uh, along the way? Um, or was it just the fact that you came to Joffrey and then you were like, this is home, this is it, thank you very much? Uh, no, I, I, after SFB, I mean, <laughs> after Royal Ballet School, I got into SFB, San Francisco Ballet. Okay. Um, I, and I got an apprenticeship there, which is basically a rank in the company. It's like a paid position there, mm. um, but they only have like two to four usually. Um, and the year I was there, they had two apprentices and I got that. That was the job I got out of school. And I was like taking class one day and this guy came in to watch class. He was like visiting. And after class, I was like peeking my head into a rehearsal, like just watching from the door. And he came up behind me and was like, you know, what's your name? And I was like, oh, I'm Dylan. And he was like, 
oh, you, you were really nice. Like if things don't work out for you here, you should come audition at Joffrey. And it was Ashley Weider, who's the director of Joffrey. And Ashley Weider used to be a ballet master at San Francisco Ballet. So he was like that, he was visiting and checking in. And he just straight up said to me, like, if it doesn't work out for you here, like come audition at Joffrey. And I was like, doesn't work out for me. Like, I think it's going great, right? And <laughs> like, sure enough, you know, I didn't get renewed and offered a, a contract for the next year. Um, I think it was in part because of the big recession that happened that year. SFB let go thir like 13 dancers Whoa. and I was one of them. And there were two apprentices and one of the apprentices had been through the school and I had not, and they took her into the, into the core. Um, so that's just how it went for me, which was a bummer, but, um, you know, it popped up in my head that this guy had come in and like just showed interest. And so I was like, well, why don't I audition there? It wasn't even on my list or on my radar. Um, because Ashley was a new director there. And when I went to audition here, he seemed to be wanting to like revamp the company and he seemed to have like a good vision. And I was like, I'm going to come here for this guy because he likes me. And I think I can be a part of the change that's going to happen here. And so that's why I joined. It wasn't really because of the level of the company at the time or like where it was, it was because I believed in Ashley. Wow. Seriously, I mean, that is, I think he truly spoke to you in the sense that it's like, okay, that's the vision. And then you were like, that's the vision I want to be a part of. Um, and I think sometimes we, we neglect to find that or we neglect to acknowledge that fact. It sometimes can be so difficult because we're focusing on ourselves and working so hard that it makes a difference when you agree with and believe in the artistic vision that is set from the top. Um, yeah. because I really do believe it's from the top down. Yeah, it is. And a lot of people like don't get that in their life or career. Like they're dealing with directors and people that like don't listen to the dancers and like are only out for themselves. And like, I could very much tell from the beginning that Ashley was like a dancer's director and everyone at SFB was like, Oh my God, you'll love Ashley, man. He was like our favorite when he was here. He was so nice and like such a great guy. And like, he's really continued to be that in my whole career here, not just for me, but for really most of the company. Um, uh, you know, everybody has their, their stories, uh, like something they don't like, but you know, mm. as far as a director, like this guy is really special. And I feel like uh, he's totally given the company, like it's kind of second shot at glory, mm. you know, with the rep and everything he's brought in. So it's been great. And I think a lot of us, when we're younger, we think like, I want to be an ABT or I want to be at Royal Ballet. Or I want to be, I want to dance like at the biggest and best place ever. And that would be great. But like, not everybody gets that, yeah. you know, you can, you can be really, really, really good. You can be as good as a principal at Royal and not get into Royal ever. Yeah. And not get into Paris opera ever. Like it's just how it goes. And like you, when you're in that situation, then you have to find something that works best for you. I think you should always look for that. But like, if you don't get that one ideal thing, you have to look out for yourself because it's healthier. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like we have to look out for ourselves in this kind of an industry. Um, but what you're describing to me, it kind of sounds like, um, I don't know, I always describe whenever we fall in love with some aspect of this art form or a company or, you know, a ballet, it's always a love affair it's just it sweeps you off your feet and you're and you're in there um mm -hmm. but to me it also seems like when you're there for so long that you're investing in a company um so 
I mean, is there, do you feel like you have a, a, a good amount of buy-in into, you know, your position, into your work, into the, the environment and culture of Joffrey Ballet as well? Because you were describing that it's a great dynamic, you know, between the director and the dancers for the most part. Yeah, I definitely feel like I, I, I have my place here and I know my place really well. Um, like I, I struggle with like a lot of my own like perception of like my career and stuff. Cause like everyone has that, like everyone has like an imposter syndrome sometimes, or sometimes they think like, you know, I'm like, I'm better than, I'm better than people think I am. Blah, blah, blah. And I definitely can get in my head about that. But like at the end of the day, like <clears throat> I feel very much a part of the operation at Joffrey and like, you know, I've danced all my dream roles basically so far. And on top of that, like they've recognized my ability to do more than that. Like, I'm a big guy. I'm six foot four, but like they've Whoa. cast me in stuff that like that you don't put guys my height in, but I can do it. And they've given me that opportunity. And I like, I think that's the most fulfilling, you know, whether people know that I've done that stuff or not, like I, I have, and there aren't like many other guys, my height that can probably move that way or go that fast or, and I pride myself on that. And for a company to like recognize it and let me have those opportunities it's like really awesome. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like from before you were describing how we all want to get into the big companies when we're young and we all have that, that initial goal and stuff like that. But really, um, I feel like those big companies, they're just they're just big companies because any company you go to that you feel a part of and you feel at home in, you'll find that the core of dancers around you that you are in and comprise, um, it's just as good as almost anywhere else it's just the you know the drive of the dancers yeah. individually um and it seems like you found that sort of like a niche type of um environment which is amazing to hear um yeah for sure it's definitely it, it it's a good word for it is like a niche type of environment it's kind of like that um and it's like i think it's pretty special i mean everything has its ups and downs but yeah Absolutely. And uh, speaking of ups and downs, I feel like this past year we've been in is kind of one of those downswings, <laughs> but it's not full of all of those negative experiences. Um, you know, a few months ago, I was reading a piece in Point magazine by a friend of mine, Kira Lawbrocker, who dances at Eugene Ballet. Um, and I was so amazed to read that you started a company called Action Lines with Xavier Nunez and uh, film producer Eric Grant this past year but then immediately produced a beautiful, engaging exhibition on a 3,300 square foot wall in the middle of Chicago that made it impossible to forget that the arts industry in America has been devastated by this pandemic. In your case, you're able to experience this firsthand with Joffrey Ballet uh, being one of the first major American ballet companies to announce that its 2020 and 2021 season had been canceled. Could you talk a little bit about your project, Interim Avoidance, um, and what, how that project came about, what it means to you, um, and then also, how did this prompted, I guess, how did it prompt itself for you to find or found this company? That was a really bad sentence, and I'm going to fix that in post-editing. All good. <laughs> All good, man. I got you. Um, you, covered, you covered a lot there. I appreciate that. Like, um, yeah. So the first time I worked with my buddy Zavi and Eric, um, 
it was they had an idea for this like video they wanted to do and it was in this magic lounge that the front of it is a laundromat but it's like it's half real laundromat and then half fake like there's like a magic door and you go in it and then there's this like art deco style magic lounge behind it and they wanted to use me and my fiance Geraldine as the dancers in it and so they they did all the concept they directed it they produced it and I performed in it with Geraldine and it was this really like great video we used music by Mall Rat um and the song is called Circles and I kind of realized that we all worked really well together and I had talked with Zavi separately like we should start a production company because I want to make stuff centered around the arts that isn't so like just for artists just for dancers that can like bring in an audience that will be interested in the arts that aren't artists the the way we do with chef's table and food and sports you know Mm -hmm. so he was always like yeah yeah but I got I'd have to bring in my guy Eric because we've he's had those conversations with Eric as well and so like it, it had been talked about and then COVID hit like circles came out And then Annabelle Lopez asked me and Geraldine to do one of her Zoom choreography films. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you should have Zavi film it and, and, uh, you know, direct it and everything and edit it. And I did the music for it. And so that was the first time I contributed like more on the production side with Zavi. And after that film came out and did really well and like every, you know, people had this great feedback. I just hit up Zavi and I was like, man, we need to start this now. Like, there's actually so much opportunity out there. And then on top of that, starting it after we retire is not the move because right now we have connections right now. We have like a machine behind us that could help us if it wanted to. And it would also, you know, Joffrey, because it would also benefit them to have dancers that produce dance work, like, you know? Um, And he was like, okay, okay, well like, let's do a meeting. And so we met me, Eric Zavi, we talked about it. And then like about a week later, I was having a cigar with a friend of mine named Stefanos. And we were just like chatting at this lounge. And he was like, dude, I got to show you this, this wall. Like, cause I was telling him that I started the company and he was like, I got to show you this wall. Like I know the curator and I know the building developer, like we got to bring you guys in and like, maybe you guys can do something on it. So I, I actually went in, I saw the wall and I just thought to myself, man, if they let us do something on here, like that is where the arts can exist right now because it can't exist anywhere else. Like, yeah, it can be on Instagram, it can be on Facebook, but to actually be able to go to a place and see it would be amazing and be able to go by yourself, distanced with a mask and just walk through the lobby and see this like beautiful installation would be so awesome. And so we basically just conceptualized that, that the dancers were existing within that, you know, 150 LEDs and they kind of appear in this void where they don't know why they're there or what they're doing and this red light appears and sort of calls them like as if it's a stage and so they dance and perform and it's all of most of it is in slow motion to kind of like really show all the muscles and movement um and it loops it's like a seven minute film and it loops and just like continues to kind of respawn and and perform again so that's kind of i mean it's kind of a long, the long version. I try to, I try to shorten it every time, but it's, it's kind of a long story because people want to know like how action lines started and then how interim came about. And it all happened. Like we started action lines and like two weeks later, we got the gig for interim avoidance. 
Wow. Oh my um, God. That is so cool. I feel like I just imagined, you know, being <laughs> in front of this wall and watching it, you know, and the way yeah, you it's... said, um, that's where the arts are. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. That's so true. Um, yeah. It's incredible. This feat that you're able to, to really take on. Um, my God. Yeah. I just got chills. Sorry. I had to just <laughs> add that in. <laughs> no, it's all good. It was, it was a big deal. You know, we didn't even have the technology to edit the film on that on their format because the curator had to send us the format of the screen and Zavi didn't even have the computer built yet but I was like we can do it all ourselves like don't worry like and we can bring Joffrey in on it but I just like sold us and then I was like if they give us the gig like Z we'll get the computer set up and we'll know that we have to do it Zavi built the computer with his brother and you know it was like editing eight films in one you know, because there were four quadrants of the wall. And then he was also editing like the little like in between sections and then like adding layers to it. So it was for Zavi, it was a really extensive job and something he'd actually never done. And he did such an incredible job on it that like now, now we're working steadily. Wow. Oh my God. And like, you know, you even describe it being like, you had this thought of maybe we should start a company at some point. And Xavier had this thought of maybe we should start a company at some point, you know? Yeah. So it was like the planning was already a little bit on the move already. And then when you both yeah. met and the circumstances just aligned so perfectly, um, that's incredible to me to hear because I mean, we've been in this state and I know Joffrey Bala, you guys have had it really, really hard too this entire season you know, you've been doing what? <laughs> taking class. Yeah, like taking class. You know, for the so, first half of the season, yeah, it was basically that. And to have Joffrey ballet dancers, people who are on the stage that the audience is used to seeing in a different kind of medium, but still it reminding us that there is art going on. Um, I think that's yeah. an incredible, incredible call to the times, really. Yeah, and I, I also want to reiterate that, like, this happened very naturally. Like, we had our down days as well where nobody wanted to do anything. And, like, I think we, we you know, when we tell these stories of, like, the product, how productive people were during the pandemic, it, it can sometimes come off as, like, you know, like, look, look how much people did. One, we were very privileged to be able to, like, start it, right? Like, we weren't Joffrey was employing us and paying us for a full season still. Wow. Um, our, our unemployment benefits were lined up when we were um, unemployed and it was, you know, keeping us financially safe. So we were not in a desperate situation where we had to get a job somewhere to, to feed ourselves. Right. And I think a lot of people were in those situations. And I think like what we were lucky because we're, we were in a very privileged situation. And what we basically what we did was we took advantage of the opportunity that was out there to make something good and to also try to give back to our fellow dancers. It wasn't just about us being like, oh, we're going to be the shit and we're going to like do these videos. We were like, let's hire our friends and get them paid for a gig and let them be professional dancers for a day, you know, <laughs> and like mm -hmm. come on and shoot and be professional and have it port, you know, displayed and, and do that. And, you know, after that, we just wrapped um, our first dance film with the Joffrey mm -hmm. um, where we used six dancers and did an original concept and everything and shot in this architectural museum. And like, for us, like, it's great for us to make stuff, but we also feel great giving our friends that have been down and out and ha had 
trouble during this time, like an outlet and something to do and a way to like be who they, who they train to be their, their whole life, you know? Absolutely. And I, you know, in our career, I almost feel like our identity is so closely tied with what we do as a job. Um, yeah. That when we have a, such a long period of time with nothing happening, you as a dancer start to question yourself. Oh my God, you know, am I going to dance yeah. again? If I do dance again, is it going to be the same? So really involving the dancers you know and that you see are struggling in your own projects. I think that's amazing. Yeah, I think it was important and it was like really fun. Yeah. And it looks pretty cool, I'm sure, too, huh? <laughs> it's. I think it looks incredible. I mean, like, especially in person, it's pretty wild. Wow. Oh, I'll have to check it out eventually when it's in a city near me then. <laughs> yeah, I know. We want to We want to try to do more of that. So hopefully we'll be able to, like, bring stuff to different <clears throat> media walls and, and all that. Yeah. Oh, that'd be huge. That would be huge. And, you know, speaking... Um, kind of to this lack of normalcy in the performing arts during the pandemic. Um, you know, there have been limits on social gatherings and occupancy in the theaters and stuff like that. And within our studios as well, we learned early on that performing as we normally do with an audience is totally not possible in the same way that we thought it was. Um, I think due to this, we witnessed, I, I know that I witnessed an influx of dance films that I feel like at this point, we've seen more dance films coming out than at any other point. And, yeah. um, you know, it's crazy to see that. But um, it's a great way, like you said, for choreographers and dancers to engage with each other and have some kind of work. Um, mm -hmm. So that being said, is what do you see on the future, on the horizon for action lines? Um, and, you know, your mission also describes seeing art through the different lens. So how do you envision really fulfilling that mission statement? Yeah, I mean, my vision for it is, um, you know, basically creating like half production company, half like art house. So like to do a wide range of things, whether it's like these video installations or projection, like do a full room of projections and dance and doing all this. And then on the other end like producing full-on docu-series or tv shows and netflix content that like can bring in viewers to our life and make it more accessible and like relatable because i think what else we've learned during the pandemic is how inequitable ballet can be and is and i think like you know i there's not much i can do like I have benefited from my privilege my whole career right like and my and it's still even been hard for me so like imagine how hard it is for someone else who might be a by a by POC person who who is dealing with all sorts of other prejudice and I think it's important for us to like see that and then use our voice and our space and time to speak up for those who like can't or can but aren't listened to you know and um i think with uh, this production company we can tell these stories of successful lives in the arts that aren't just household names and people that are famous i think a lot of people don't get into the arts because they think well if i'm not going to be you know misty copeland or if i'm not going to be daniel simkin like that's i'm not going to be successful enough to have like a um a life that like feeds me 
yeah. and it's not true, you know, and there's so many avenues and different jobs in the arts. <clears throat> and I think we've learned through things like chef's table and, um, uh, it's called uninterrupted. It's, uh, it's a sports show where they kind of talk about the mental health aspect of, um, sports and, and like the outer lives of basketball players and sports stars. And it's like, when you bring in that sort of dimension, like it makes people relate to you on a, on a different level. And I think that's what the ballet is missing a lot of the time. It's always this like sugar coated, um, like wrapped in a nice little box and like put out for you to see like perfect. And like, I think it'd be a lot better for us to actually like get into it a little more um, in order for people to understand better and be more interested in it and more people, not just the same people we've always had interested in it. So yeah, I have, I have a a big vision for it and I'm not afraid to say it because I think we will be able to do it all. Absolutely. And, you know, I think with your initial project um, in term avoidance, there's already, you're setting that um, not agenda, but you're really (laughs) allowing things that you see that you experience to to be observed. And then when you look at them from a different side, a different lens, you're like, okay, this is the work that has to be done. For example, showcasing the voices and experiences of those who have experienced prejudice. If we leave out and neglect those points of view, we're losing an entire side of human story, of human emotion, perception, and understanding of the world. Art like you said, it, it's always tied up with this little cute little ribbon on the box, beautiful little package. And we're told that that is what art is. But essentially, I would like to view it through a different lens. Um, I think art, it does such a great job at showing us what's around us, at making us aware of issues in our society that artists see and program into their works. There's a message, in other words, mm-hmm. in, the, in the works of art that we view and see. So um, even in uh action lines you know making choreography of that nature that shows some of these issues and struggles i think it's super important or else we don't get a real sense of where we are in society yeah and i think like ballet's pursuit of perfection is is great in one way but in another way it hinders it so much because people can't relate to perfection um they loved, they'd rather, they'd also like to see like what went in like all the wrong that went into perfecting it you know, and that's why people are so interested in breakdowns about how basketball players work and what they have to do every day <clears throat> in order to go out and play and look perfect. Right. And yeah. same with chefs, like that food comes out to you and it's incredibly perfect and displayed, but there's this, there's the farming and the, the, the immense details and, and prep that goes into that, that like people really like to see. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a shame that ballet doesn't let people in enough because I think black, white, whatever, whoever you are, like you can relate to struggle and work that has to be put into something. And I think the more we like pull back that curtain, the more, the wider range of people are gonna see themselves in ballet. Mm-hmm. And that's what we, we've dealt with this year is realizing that there's a large group of people that don't see themselves represented on stage and in, in an idea in, a, in the choreography, in 
the making of the clothes and costumes, you know, it's just not enough. So I think like we all kind of have a responsibility to do that, but not in like a preachy tokenized way, like just do it because it's interesting. Like it's actually interesting to have somebody from a different background tell you something and use ballet to tell the story. Right. No, don't just do it because it's like, Oh, well like let's fill a quota and like find, you know, a female choreographer. It's like, no, do it because they actually, they have something interesting to say. And like, we've heard from everyone else already, yeah. you know? So I kind of feel like that. And I feel like even though I'm a guy who started a company and like, I'm very like cis and white um, adjacent, like I feel a responsibility to like, just open that stuff up and like pull back the curtain. Cause I'm also Hispanic. My dad's from Mexico and I very much relate to like his experience, even though it wasn't mine. Um, and so I try to keep that in mind when, when working and doing stuff. Absolutely. No. And it's so important now that this is that we respond to what the times are asking of us because already we're responding so incredibly late yeah that if we're responding yeah. at all we should we should consider it a victory of some kind in my opinion um but i think moving forward because i've been also really interested in this idea of what the new normal holds for us you know because in our old idea of what normal was what you just described was very prevalent not only in the arts industry but everywhere else in the world we were fed yeah. a singular almost what seemed like a singular narrative from which to interpret um i mean anyone how can you interpret a, a you know one size fits all message you can't mm -hmm. it doesn't speak to you and if it does how do you relate can you relate yeah. to it in that sense um so i've always been interested in this idea of creating a better normal how would you imagine a process what do you think in our industry let's say um what kind of work do you see before us um in order to create a more with the times a more equally represented accessible um industry for all yeah i mean i think like for one i i really prefer all companies like if they if they're if they have hired a, a choreographer that is by POC, that is a by POC person, like don't make it the marquee, like marketing strategy. Mm -hmm. Like don't pat yourself on the back for hiring someone that has a different perspective than the same perspective you've been covering for your entire history. Like it's not, you're not groundbreaking. You're not that special. You're doing what you should be doing. So, like, and I think equality comes from actually treating people the same, you know, like if, if, a, if I'm, you know, I'm Mexican, say I'm full Mexican and I'm brown and I feel a, a type of way and I'm being brought in somewhere. If I feel like it's only because of my skin color or my background, I'm going to feel like the work has to be about my background and my experience. You know, I think a lot of white choreographers they they get to make things about whatever right and then i think a lot of people that are um, more on the minority side feel this burden to like speak from their experience and maybe they want to make something about a spaceship you know and like i think it's important for us to not tokenize those things if you're gonna do it just do it and make it part of your program and 
and let these people have these opportunities. And then on top of that, you have to allow room for failure for people. I think we allow a certain group of people, many failures and another group of people, one and done. You know, I know plenty of female choreographers that have felt like I did this one thing and it wasn't great and I never got called again. Or like I did this one thing and it was great and I still never got called again. And you're just like, because we're in that same cycle of doing the same thing all the time. And I think it's just like, you don't need to make, if you don't know anyone, you should search people out and you should do your research and you should make it part of your, part of your storytelling and part of, you know, what, what you want to do going forward. And then I think on top of that, like job fairs, um, I spoke about this actually with Joseph Walsh when we were over the summer, um, Geraldine actually organized a fundraiser for the Black Star Project here in Chicago. We did like a Zoom class where um, Craig, uh, Craig Hall taught a section of Times Are Racing by Justin Peck. And we were, we, I was chatting with Joseph because Joseph and Doris like kind of helped us promote it. And so we were talking about like, how do we help in our companies make it more equitable and like reach more people. And he was like, well, we were thinking of doing a job fair where you set up all the like a little booths for m marketing, stage management, the dancers, development, like, and you set it up and then you bring in your outreach program because every company has an outreach program because they have to, but instead bring them in and show them, you don't have to be a dancer. If you're like the arts, love the arts, you can, you can get into, you can get into the stagecraft. You can get into the marketing side. You can do all these things. And the more we infiltrate our, not just our company, but our, our artistic staff, our uh, production, our donors, the more we in, infiltrate with, with, a, with a broader range of perspective, the better we're going to do. Because donors will say, I want to see myself on stage. I want to see this type of thing. And then the company will be lobbied by that, where it won't just be lobbied by one group of people that are cool to see the same thing over and over. You know, and then again, in marketing, somebody with a different background is going to have a different perspective on how we should market a certain choreographer or a certain work. And like that, it will make us ultimately more equitable and relate to more people and not as tone deaf as I think a lot of ballet has been just forever. I feel like that's such an amazing like phrase to equate it to is just tone deaf. It really it has to be said that. Um, and going back to this job fair, this is incredible. It's an idea that I feel like has been thought of in every other sector of business except for ours. And I think it's always been viewed that, you know, dance is a very prestigious art form. Um, and you have to suffer, you have to train, you have to work this and that, you have to prove your worth to be a dancer, to be in a ballet company and stuff like that. And it's, it's just not right, it's not so. Because like you said, there's opportunities for you to market, for you to you know, strategically plan what you want to do in your community to say, well, what works do we wanna bring in? Who, which choreographers do we wanna bring in? What stories do we wanna tell? Because really we are cultural organizations with that as our responsibility to spread. Yeah, and we're not culture. mirroring. We're not mirroring the culture as much as we should should be. Exactly, and you know, running parallel with culture, we can kind of get. We can kind of say we're doing good enough, but we're yeah. 
I think we need to be at the forefront of it. We need to be peddling what culture is because as artists and as arts organizations with deep insights into our communities, who knows better than us? What kind yeah. of art and culture needs to be coming out at that time? Yeah, I'm, and I mean, it's tough because people have bottom lines and they have money they need to make and they need to do all this. But, you know, we give, you know, I've said it in our company meetings. I was like, we give a lot of opportunities to people. And they're not always a very diverse group of people. And like, you know, sometimes we, and I think the Joffrey is actually a very diverse company that actually does a lot of great work. And especially in this last year has taken the time to do some training within the company and, you know, do the work for themselves. Um, but we have brought up that like, if we're, if we're, we are a company of opportunity, let's just be more, let's be more conscious about who we're, who we're giving it out to. And, you know, I think if companies are willing to have the conversation with their dancers, like they're already taking the right step because I think what so many people do nowadays is they get called something and they immediately reject it because they don't want to be that. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Like no one wants to say that they're racist, but we've all been racist at some point and had some sort of implicit bias. Mm -hmm. And until you can say, I've done that, I've had that, I should fix myself and then, like, and then I can like do better in the future. Like if you can do that, then we're taking the right step because there's nothing you can do about the past. You've already done that. You've already been that person. Like all you can do now is try to do better and listen to whoever's telling you that you did the wrong thing. Like, actually I'm thinking about the term I just used. I said tone deaf and you thought it sounded like a great word to use. Mm -hmm. And to us, that sounds like, oh, it makes so much sense. But to someone who might be tone deaf, it's actually probably insulting to them. <laughs> because we're saying that it being tone deaf is bad in regards to the situation. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, that's how I mean it, but I don't mean it against somebody who might actually have that issue. Right. And so it's all these things that will pop up in my head all the time to just be like, all right, how can we do better ne next time? Or like, did that make sense? Or would someone tell me this? And if they were to tell me this, I got to listen. Right. You know, so, and I think, I, I think the more we do that, it, the better things will get. And the more dancers feel like they can speak on it, the better things will get as well. Cause the dancers are the ones actually closest to the culture, not, not the, our older, you know, directors and ballet masters, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it seems like there's a whole lot of, you know, and you can, I think, use this progression in any way, but this self-disclosure, not only between you and yourself, but then if the company, the company has to self-disclose with itself, you know, mm -hmm. are the conversations happening where we're asking the questions that we should be asking? Are we asking the questions that are going to define how we run or are we asking the questions that will help us fit better into our, um, you know, usual way of doing things. And I yeah. think constantly looking ahead, constantly taking stock of everything that's going is the only way to get an accurate picture of how to move forward. And we've had a year to really look at the world and we can take stock literally through hindsight because we can see from our paused position how things have been going over the past few years and now i mean let's use that to our advantage and say how can we write the ship which direction is it going now um, yeah so yeah for sure we, we've we've had a nice little long look in the mirror and i think 
I think it'll be, I think if you don't come out of this, like doing better, you've really missed an opportunity. Yeah. It'd be yeah, really ashamed to not come out doing better, you know? So you got to try, but you got to look at yourself first. That's the thing, you know? And that's, that's hard for a lot of people and organizations to do. I feel like artists have a really, really interesting perspective on life, just through the nature of our creativity and blah, 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 all the things we do. Um, so as an offering of your perspective, what is some advice or what are some words of wisdom that you would like to offer to artists everywhere? Uh, know your worth. Uh, don't work for free. <laughs> like, I think... I think it's really important to know your worth and it's important to work on the things you're not good at diligently and accentuate the things you are good at. You know, like I think a lot of dancers struggle with like feeling like they're good mm. every day because we focus so much on our bad. And I think the like, we need to recognize both of those sides of ourselves and recognize that there's a very good half and then the half that we're still working on. And that very good half is gonna take us where we wanna go. And then the, the stuff that we're not as good at that we're working on is gonna help keep us there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think knowing your worth is super important. And I think the more dancers know what each other are getting paid, how they're all being treated, and the more that they're a united front on those things, the, the better culture we'll have for dancers going forward. Because one thing, another thing I've learned is that I'm, I always feel comfortable to speak up in our dancer meetings, but not everybody does. And while you may be told sometimes that you won't be treated differently because you said something, sometimes it just happens that way, depending on how you're perceived in the company. Mm -hmm. And I think the more we know our worth and know that we're, we deserve better and more than what we have always, I think it's, a, I think that's, uh, that's my word of advice. Cause even when things are good at your company, we, we all kind of deserve better. You know, there's spots where it can be better and we deserve that. And we shouldn't just say, Oh, well, it's good enough. Like, let's not, let's not, let's not go there. I, I think there's always room for improvement on both sides. They always want us to improve. They always want us to get better. They always want us to show up. So we need to hold our, our companies and, and the people we work for accountable as well. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Arts Today. My guest for this episode was Dylan Gutierrez. So Dylan, if you're listening, thank you for a great conversation. If you like this episode, please remember to share it with at least one friend. That's the only way to get the word out about The Arts Today. Do you like that little rhyme? Don't forget to subscribe to this show if you haven't already and head to theartstoday.wordpress.com to check out past episodes or if you just want to say hello. Thank you, and I'll see you again next time.